We're going to go back to last Sunday, a text that I shared and put in the bulletin. I knew then, but I didn't tell you, but uh, that I was going to continue today in the 17th chapter of John because there's so much there that you just cannot get out real quickly that is absolutely the foundation of anything effective in the future that happens for the glory of God as it relates to our faith and our trust in Jesus Christ. If today in a world that is arguing and fussing and fighting about everything, we have two political conventions, one in the past, one coming up, and you see the processes that we go through in America, but I think the basic Bottom line for both is, can we get together on something that can bring a nation together? Because unity in a family, in a business, in a country, and in our world is something that's important to God. And that's the scripture that I, that I shared with you last week, and it's in John 17, and we're going to put it on the screen as we uh, go along here. But... I want you to just let me walk you through the passage, verses 13 through 23, and then let me make the comments that God wants me to make, I feel like, to all of us today. In John 17, verses 13 through 23. Now, verse 12, let me go back and remember, so bring you up to date. Jesus is speaking. And he says, while I was with them in the world, talking about we people, I kept them in your name, those that you gave me. I've kept. And notice this, none of them is lost. God's kids don't get lost. God's kids are God's kids by adoption. But it says, I have kept and none of them is lost, but the son of perdition, that the scripture might be fulfilled. Now he goes on with his prayer to the Father. And now come I to thee, and these things I speak in the world, that they might have my joy fulfilled in themselves. You hear that? He said, I want people to experience the joy that I experienced in doing the will of the Father, even though difficult times came along the way. I want them to have my joy. Now, Here's what he did to make that possible. Verse 14, I have given them your word and the world hates them, my children, because they're not of this world, even as I am not of this world. I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They're not of the world. Again, he says it, as I am not of the world. Sanctify them through your truth. Now notice the next words. Your word, thy word is truth. Thy word, Father, is truth. As thou hast sent me into the world, even so have I also sent them into the world. And for their sakes I sanctify myself, that they also might be sanctified through the truth. Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through the word. In other words, he says, it's not finished yet. 
And it's not finished yet today. There are still people that are right here right now or watching or listening somewhere that God has a plan for your life and you have not found it. And you're frustrated, you're wore out, you're broke, you're disappointed, you're frustrated, you're angry because you can't seem to find your place in this crazy, mixed up world. But God's word says, I got a plan for you. I got a plan for you. Verse 19 says, and for their sakes, I sanctified myself that they also might be sanctified through the truth. Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also, which shall believe on me through your word, that they all may be one as thou father art in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me and the glory which thou gavest me, I have given it to them that they may be one even as I am one. I want to talk to you this morning and continue how important it is for we, the children of God, to find our place in God's plan. He does not want any to be excluded from his plan. He wants all of us to be included, but we don't all do the same thing. In fact, every one of us are uniquely different, but God has given us what he wants to give us in order to accomplish through us what he wants to accomplish through us. Now, for some, it'll take a longer time than others. We won't all live to be 100. We won't all live to be 900, you know, like the Methuselah. But God will take us today wherever we are and will lead us to where he wants us to be for the rest of the days of our life. But being a follower of Jesus Christ is the beginning point of bringing us together. He must be lifted up and we will be drawn unto him. And when we're drawn unto him, we're drawn to another. That's what these camps can do for young people. They see that everybody is not like what they thought everybody was like until they got out of the environment that they'd been in and get in a new environment and see that God is still speaking to young people all over the world and saying to them, come out from among them and be separate. I've got your future planned. So I've got some questions this morning. Question number one is, why is the oneness of followers often so difficult for us to initiate and to maintain? In other words, how, why is it so tough for us to find where we fit in and then get on with it? And when we start, finish. Don't just be like up and down, up and down, up and down. But we start following and we don't quit following. We stay the course looking unto Jesus, who is the author and the finisher of our faith. And then another question is, why are we so comfortable with our lack of love for fellow believers, for one another? Oh, if you were to go and do a lot of research, you'd find that many, many churches, if not the majority, fight and fuss all the time. You couldn't, be a, you couldn't see a better fight in 15 rounds at the Coliseum that you could see in a business meeting in some of those churches. Everywhere you go, you see not unity, not oneness, but total diversity. And in every situation, it's hard seemingly to bring people to one 
accord. We're so confused, we don't even know what a believer is. Somebody says, are you a believer? I said, yeah, I believe in God. So does the devil. To make you a believer. Yeah, but you don't understand. Uh, I believe in Jesus. Well, I'm glad you do. You're on the right course, but so does the devil. He fights him every day. We don't understand what it means to be a believer. It's not intellectual consent. It's not, I believe that God created the heavens and the earth. I believe there's a God. I believe there's a Jesus. I believe. No, 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 no. The oneness comes when you are born again into the family of God. When you're adopted into his family, now you become a believer. Old things have passed away. All things become new. And all of a sudden you find yourself being important to God. It does not matter how important we are to others. If we're following God, he will certainly let us influence others. But the goal is not to be like somebody else, but to be like God. You know what makes a, a Christian a Christian? A Christian is a little Christ. That's what the word literally means, little Christ, Christians. Christians are people who have not just believed the facts, but they have entered into a personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ under the leadership of the Holy Spirit. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit all came together to create a plan whereby mortal man born in original sin could be born again and have a brand new life in Jesus Christ and could experience relationally the oneness that comes in the body of Christ where it's some are eyes, some are ears, and the Bible goes on to give the analogy, hands and feet and so forth. But every believer believes that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And nobody comes to the Father except through Jesus. Now, that's what a Christian believer is. You say, I don't want to be one of those. I believe there's a lot of roads leading up to, up to the mountain, and I'm just going to get on one. You can sure choose the one you want to get on, but you better know where it's leading. If you get on any other road other than the road following Jesus, you'll find the leader's dead. Now what are you going to do? When you need the leader to get you inside wherever you're going, if they're not risen from the grave, you're in a heap of trouble. But when you come to the scripture and you start believing in God the Father, Jesus the Son, the Holy Spirit is alive because it lives in my life and comforts me and strengthens me and convicts me and guides me into all truth. And because I experience that, and when I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil for thou art with me. I don't understand. God's ways are so much higher, but I trust him and I will follow him all the days of my life. And I one day will dwell in the house of the Lord. There's one other thing that we believe, and that is that the Bible is God's inspired, inerrant, and infallible word. We have no other document that comes anywhere close to the Bible. Every political position you take better be determined by what this book says. When God's 
talks about children and babies and how they are one of a kind, created by God, you better find out where leadership stands. You better find out what leadership feels about the Bible, about Jesus, about the Holy Spirit. You, you, you see, folks, we are just like a bunch of ants. We just run around, and, and if one of them grabs something and starts running back to the den, we grab something. Don't even know where they're going. All I know is everybody I run with is going this way, so I'm going to get on my backpack of sin and just head with them, and we're going to party, party, party. I don't recommend that. Let me tell you why people don't like the Bible. It tells you how to live your life. You say, not me. If you're a believer, it does. If, if I'm talking to anybody here and you think you're a believer and you tell me that you don't understand this book, you're not a believer. I'm sorry, but you're not. The Holy Spirit that wrote this book lives in you if you're a believer. And the Holy Spirit that, that wrote this book lives in you, will interpret this book for you at the point of your need, whatever you're going through. Not some of the time, all of the time. And if you think this is just another book written by some religious bunch of, of uh, guys, you're wrong. It's written by the Holy Spirit. And it will stand alone against the test of past, present, and future. You know what it does? It tells you how to live your life. And you said, nobody's going to do that. Well, if you're a Christian, it will. But let me tell you another thing about it. It'll tell you how to fix things. Oh, man, this is trouble for us right here. Oh, I tell you what, I can break more stuff. And if there's anything I hate to read, it is an instruction manual. First of all, why do they write it in such small print? And why do they use words that I never heard of? Because I was not an engineer. I don't understand that. I thank God for it because I can get somebody to explain it to me. But here's the point. The Bible was written by the Holy Spirit that lives in you to interpret it to you. It's like the one that made it can fix it. The one that made you can fix you. He can, if you're in the dark, he can get the light back on. That's part of what the Holy Spirit does. So real quickly, there's four things that'll identify you as a follower of Jesus. Number one, Christ is the catalyst. Christ is the catalyst. Colossians 2, 9, for in him, that's Jesus, or in God, dwells all of the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And the first thing that brings us together into one is that we follow Jesus, knowing that narrow is the way that leads to eternal life. But we follow him one by one. Now, let me tell you what happens when you're following him. We all get in the same direction. When you are following Jesus and I'm following Jesus and our friends are following Jesus, we're all going the same way. And so we aren't so divisive as we find ourselves being today. But the catalyst of Christ, it's the glue that brings us together. What is catalyst? What, what is catalyst? What are they? They take two products that are totally different, put them together, the two become one, and the catalyst never changes. 
That's what Jesus is. He's a catalyst. He doesn't change, but he can bring us that we are different. We have different spiritual gifts, different ages, different backgrounds, on and on. But he brings us into one. He is the catalyst. It's the blood of Jesus that puts us together. We're all bought with the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we never lose sight of him when we're following him. Hebrews 5, chapter 8, it says, Though he were a son, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered. And being made perfect, we're talking about Jesus, he became the author of eternal salvation unto all of them that obey him. Is that clear? That wasn't unanimous, so I'll read it again. (laughs) He became the author of eternal salvation unto all that obey him. Now, you understand that? You see, he doesn't mess around, beat around the bush. It's not multiple choice. It's not what's behind door number one, number two, or number three. It's my way. I am the way. I'm the truth. You want life? I am the life. You follow me, you will never die. You will live with me forever. And I will guide you into all truth. It's not our status in life that brings us together. It's not the color of our skin. It's not our political party. It is our relationship with Jesus Christ. Here we stand at the cross level ground. Here we stand as heirs of God and joint heirs with Jesus Christ. None of us are more fortunate than another. We are all fortunate because Jesus Christ lives in our life. As I tried to emphasize last week, the apostles, the disciples of Jesus had very little in common. Maybe only one thing. They knew Jesus was the Messiah. He was the Christ. He was God in the flesh, and he was willing to lead them, and they were willing to follow. Other than that, not much in common. When I was growing up, my father always, always went out of his way to show me godly people in every profession of life that I, that I was around. For instance, he would, he would point out to me teachers in the schools, in the public schools, those that were professing, Bible-believing, church-going, praying principals, school board members, teachers. He would take me around in Pasadena and tell me about the doctors that were unashamedly Christians. I can remember him pointing out lawyers. Can you believe that? I know we got a bunch of them here. That was just for them, all right? Matter of fact, a lawyer was the preacher when I surrendered to preach, so I, I love lawyers. Okay, thought I was going to be one one day. Businessmen, bankers. I can remember and put names with every one of these religious leaders. We could be in a restaurant. We could be at a convention. We could have been a ball game. My dad would say, son, come here, I'm going to show you something. See that man right over there? And he would tell me something about his life as to what he did and how successful he was. He introduced me to Pete Runnels, the American Batting League champion. Batted right before Ted Williams. 
And my dad led, led Pete to the Lord, baptized him, and Pete became a deacon. And he would always point out those kind of things. They'd say, that man's a Christian. That woman loves God. It meant so much. Soldiers. I can remember my dad pointing out to me high-ranking military people and government officials, the mayors, the congressmen. Yes, one time the president and one time General Douglas MacArthur at San Jacinto Monument. And my dad took me over and let me shake his hand. And I can remember those days as if they were yesterday. But let me tell you something. None of them are like, none of them are Jesus. We can be like Jesus. We can not be ashamed of the gospel. But from every background, you can come and follow Jesus and some of the greatest leaders of our day or some of the most dedicated Christians you'll ever, ever be around. We have to stay focused, folks. John 18, 38, you remember when Pilate looked at Jesus? What did he say? I find no what? Fault in this man. Do you remember the thief on the cross, the prisoner executed? Luke chapter 23, verse 41. What did he say to the other thief? Maybe they were cellmates at one time. It's in the 41st verse of Luke 23. He said, and we, <clears throat> excuse me, and we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds, but this man, Jesus, this man, Jesus, has done nothing wrong. You see, the world is looking for help and for hope. And most are not finding it. And the reason they're not finding it, they're not looking in the right places. They have not come to find where the answer is. All of them, all of these disciples felt it an honor to follow Jesus. They really did. Do you? Are you ashamed of him? Do you go out of your way to make sure that people don't know you come to church or read your Bible or try to be faithful to your family, to your wife and your children or whatever? Do you try to hide that? Do you want them to think, no, I'm cool, just like you, I'm cool, I'm cool, I'm cool, rather than I'm committed I'm a follower of Jesus. Where do you come down? God trusts us with different things. God trusts some, like Paul Marcaccio down here with a boat. He trusts me with knowing a man who owns a boat. <laughs> and I wouldn't trade positions with him. And he wouldn't trade with me. Political conventions. When they're not comedy, they are, in some way, trying to come up with an agenda that will get them all together. I don't know if at a political party I ever see that. <laughs> I'm not sure where they'll all get together, even in the same group. But let me tell you about us. Our deal is to get to Jesus. Not to get like each other, but to be like him. We don't want to identify with each other. Ignorance plus ignorance equals more ignorance. 
But when we come to him and he is the way, the truth, and the life, and we follow him, now we're on to something. And so we move forward. We move forward. And God begins to take us to where he wants us to go. When God's children meet each other, we ought to identify with each other in a oneness, the ictus, the, the fish. You know, you know what I'm talking about? I don't know if we put one on the, on the board or not. But anyway, the ictus on the back of people's cars. They drive crazy and fuss at you whenever you are driving crazy. Anyway, you know, what, what would happen is when Christians would meet back when they were killing Christians, they did not just be, say, I'm a Christian or you because of the world and the times. But they would put a mark in the ground, the first one, first one would with their staff or cane, and the other one would come back and put it the other way, and it made the ectus, and it said to them confidentially, we are both brothers or sisters in Christ. That was the ectus. That's what uh, literally brought them together. Now I can see this kind of scene today of bringing us together. See if you can visualize this. The first person says, Romans 10, 13, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's Romans 10, 13. The person they meet says, Romans 8, 29, for those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many believers. Now, the first guy has said, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord in the book of Romans. The next one says it, that, that uh, uh, if you're predestined to be conformed, and the first person says, what translation of the Bible are you reading out of? And the guy says, well, I'm in the uh, NIV, the New International Version. The other guy says, well, I'm in the KJV. I'm the King James Version. The first one says, I bet you're a Baptist. <laughs> and the other one says, I bet you're a Presbyterian. <laughs> so you go your way and I'll go mine. That's not really the way it's supposed to be, folks. Let me tell you, tell you some good theology. That door says, if that was the door to heaven, whosoever will may come. Okay? All right? When you walk through that door, it can say, welcome. Welcome. Whosoever will may come, you're elected. Everybody God nominates, he elects. All right? I'm getting quiet in here, but let me tell you something. Whosoever will can come and drink of the water of life free. God's not willing that any should perish, that all should come to repentance. God has predestined every one of us to come to heaven, but you can get off track by rejecting the leader. But we like to argue about that. Get it on, buddy. Get it on. Get it on. Let's have a good Christian fight out here behind us. It's not worth it, folks. Just lift up Jesus. And he said, I'll bring people together if you lift me up. That's called unity. You say, I'd rather be right than be in union. Oh, I'm, I'm, I hate to say this because one of my seminary professors might be listening, but the smartest theologian you ever read, if it wasn't Jesus, is going to get to heaven and find out some of his theology was a little bit confusing. God just keeps it that way. He wants everybody to know he's the way, he's the truth, he's the life. There's no flesh and blood that has all the truth, but he does. That's who you want to follow. You know what holds us together? The love of Christ and the blood of Jesus. That's what holds us together. He wants every one of us to be with him, but we've got to come his way. And it's the way of the cross. It's the way of the cross. 
Don't ever feel like that God loves our kind the most. He sees every one of us as imperfect disciples, saved by the blood of Jesus, and he encourages us to move onward and upward. I heard Rudy Hernandez years ago. He's dead now. I heard him preach a sermon. He had a sense of humor. He said two men were approaching the pearly gates of heaven discussing whether Jesus was black or white because one of them was black and the other one was white. And so they were arguing their theology as to whether Jesus was black or white. And said so they went inside the pearly gates and the gates swung open and a booming voice said, Buenos dias, senores. <laughs> I think that's kind of the way it's going to come to an end one day. <laughs> that some of these things that we just frothed at the mouth, if we can get in a discussion about, we're going to find that the only one that's right was Jesus, that we don't all have it all together. But if you're a follower of Jesus, you don't have a problem because we know where he is and where he is, there we will be also. We also have a common cause if we're following Jesus. Wars are fought for a cause. The last prayer that Jesus prayed was that the world may believe that you have sent me. You know, in wartime, we have the Army, the Navy, the Coast Guard, Marines. Which one did I forget? The Air Force. But are we, are we different? No, we're one army. Well, I mean, we're one mighty force. We all come together because the enemy is out there. The enemy's not here. It's out there. The old people and the young people can worship together. It's not the old against the young. It's not the songs of the 50s as composed to the songs of the 2016s. It has to do is Jesus, 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 the one that we've gathered to worship. And if he is, there comes together that unity. Churches. Christian colleges, Christian schools. We have so many wonderful Christian schools around our church. Our church does not have a, a Christian school, but we have homeschoolers. We have those in Christian schools, the public schools. We have Christian hospitals, Christian camps. We have uh, Christian seminaries. We have retreat centers. All of this is working together to get people to Jesus. Amen. And each of them have a different emphasis. And each of our churches have things they're strong in and things that they're weak in. But the one thing that is always strong is Jesus Christ. So God put together the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The Father gives instructions. The Son submits to the Father by going to the cross. And the Holy Spirit comes to this earth to carry out the work of the Father and the work of the Son until he comes back to rapture his church. Could I ask you something as I begin to close here? What would happen if the Father, the Son, or the Holy Spirit would have dropped out of the formula? What if one of them would have rebelled? What if Jesus said, I'm not going to that cross. I'm God too. I'm not going. But if the Holy Spirit said, you think I'm going to live in them? You know where I'm going to end up some Friday nights? So those that say that you're in them? You see what I'm talking about? Well, what happens is God brings us into a, a oneness puts us where he wants us to be and we want to leave it. We don't want to do, we don't want to be what he wants us to be. I know what I want. I'm going to get what I want. 
The Lord says, no, I've got this person for you. I've got this job for you. I've got this place I want you to live. This is what I want you to do. No, no, I've got my own plans from when I was a little bitty baby. I knew I wanted to be a, and you can fill in the blank. And the God says, no, that's not my plan. That's not my plan. When we get in one, folks, we have a credibility with the world because we have a credibility with God. We've accepted the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, all the spiritual gifts. God can send, give any spiritual gift to anybody in any dispensation. He doesn't have to call you and ask you if, if, if he can put it on the list. But when God gives a spiritual gift, the devil will counterfeit it. A real spiritual gift will bring glory to God and bring unity to a church. A fake spiritual gift will bring attention to you and it'll split a church right down the middle. The devil is a counterfeiter. But God gives the perfect gift. And the major gift is the gift of salvation. And God's family must not let anything of lesser value become their life. It's natural. It's natural. Unity is a natural thing. The sheep, 99, remember that story? One came back. Why? They said, we got to go find that one. Everybody matters to God. And ever since man sinned in the garden, we have been programmed to divide. We've been programmed to be at war with each other. But God wants his people to be his family. We're to serve one another rather than to use one another. We are to look at our serving, our being a, a Christian family as to what we can give rather than what we can get. Where do we learn how to love sinners? And every week, we have many that come into our services the first time they've ever been in church and many that watch by television, listen, or radio. But I want you to remember the prodigal son. Remember that story? What did they do? Three just went by, played games, but one, excuse me, the prodigal son, the, the, the boys left, the good one, the bad one. But when the, when the older, elder brother came back, what happened? He said, here's the ring, here's the robe. Welcome home, son. You know, once you were lost, now I'm bringing you back. That's the way Jesus treated it. How about the woman at the well? Been five men, five husbands, wasn't married to the man she was with. God loved her. The woman brought in prostitution. God loved her. He said, but don't sin anymore. But he said, I'm not going to forsake you. You come. You come and follow me. The, the compassion of Jesus was something the world could not handle. Why he, would, why he would fellowship with poor? Why he would go with the hurting? Why didn't he stay with the big shots? Because that's who he is. Jesus wants us to be his family. He wants us to love him and to love each other. And I will close by saying to you that his agenda is more important than my agenda. Love is the answer. God is love. And when Jesus was preparing to go home to the Father, he gave his kids a formula. And I close with this. 13th chapter of John, verse 34, 35. A new commandment I give unto you, that you love one another as I've loved you that you also will love one another. By this shall all men know what? That you are my disciples. That you are my disciples if you love one another. 
Our challenge today is to love one another, to love our neighbors ourselves, to love our family, to love our fellow Americans and love people all over the world. But the priority is to lift up Jesus. Whatever it costs, wherever he leads, we'll go. But we'll go under the love of God and the power of God and the wisdom of God. And if we do that, we will never, ever, ever fail.